Broadcasting from the Business Radio X studios in Atlanta, it's time for Executive Perspective. Executive Perspective is brought to you by Cressa, going beyond space to foster the best environment for every business. Now, here's your host, Danny Vandermeer. Good afternoon, and thank you for tuning in to Executive Perspective, Cressa Atlanta's podcast series. Thank you for for, for clicking the link today, everybody, this is our first recording, and I am Danny Vandermaten, your host, and today as my guest, I've got Ryan Northington, Chief Executive Officer of Simplis. Ryan, I can't be happier than to have you as the first guest and to help us really kick this off. Absolutely. Thank you for having me, Danny. Really excited about the uh, the episode and the conversation. Yeah, it's it's funny doing this with a microphone in front of me because I feel like it's over a beer, it's over a coffee, it's over lunch, so I'm just going to do my best. And hopefully you can too, to just pretend we're not wearing these things or talking in this. Absolutely. I mean, it's, it's only uh, a little bit before noon, but we can pretend we have a beer <laughs> right here in front of us and uh, let's just roll with it. Okay. Well, can you just start off by maybe telling us a little bit about Simplus and the value that Simplus brings to clients that you serve? Yeah, so we're a Salt Lake City-based um, systems integrator for Salesforce.com, so uh, Salesforce is a CRM-based cloud application used by most every major enterprise in the world. Uh, they're about a $31 billion company, about $185 billion market cap, and um, they're very well known. Uh, and we are an implementer of, of Salesforce. So companies, once they buy the licenses, they buy the software, they need someone to help them set that up, right? configure it, develop it. Uh, every business is slightly different, how they manage opportunities, how they manage their warranties, how they manage their customer service, their inbound marketing lead flow, and the ability to customize the solution to match, you know, how that particular company operates. That's where we come in, right? So we're a Salt Lake City-based Salesforce implementation partner, and we specialize specifically with, you know, large multi-cloud. Multi-cloud means multi-product. Salesforce has a lot of products, the ability to just implement beyond just your core sales opportunity management, lead management is is very important. One of the reasons why Salesforce has grown to $31 billion is because they have, you know, dozens of, of products that these enterprises can 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 purchase and use. Um, but we got our start by being a implementer of what's called CPQ, which is configuration price in quoting. And it's the art of taking a complex set of products, you know, say you're buying a computer. And when you buy a computer, you want to spec out the memory, the hard drive space, you know, the keyboard, the color, the type of monitor, you know, that's the configuration part. And then when you've configured the thing that you want, you know, it obviously spits out a price for you that you can then act on in the form of a quote, right? So that entire life cycle is how we got our start because we specialized in being able to stand up that specific business process on Salesforce. And then, you know, that was seven, eight years ago. And since then, we've obviously expanded to be able to develop and service the entire Salesforce product suite. Uh, and most of our clients are very well-known large enterprise brands these days. So, and that journey took about, you know, seven, eight, nine years um, gotcha. since the inception. And you said you guys are based in Salt Lake City. Yep. But you're a global company. We are a global company. So we are actually a part of the Infosys uh, family. So Infosys is a large global systems integrator headquartered out of Bangalore, India, uh, and they acquired uh, Simplis in March of 2020. So we were just here on our three-year anniversary of that acquisition, and we became happy part anniversary. Of a, thank you very much. It's been a, an exciting ride so far, and um, we are now part of a global 
organization with a global presence. And so, you know, we have uh, operations out of EMEA, headquartered out of Helsinki, Finland. We have uh, Simplices re- specifically responsible for all of North America, Salesforce implementation and services, as well as um, we, I am responsible for Australia, New Zealand. Um, so we have a decent sized team down there and we service that go to market region as well with offices, obviously in India because of the parent company, as well as our own simplest uh, branded offices in the Philippines. Gotcha. And around the time you guys rolled up and the acquisition happened with Infosys, that was about the time that you took on this role or it was not too soon before. Close to it. I did get a new role. Um, So I'm not a founder of the company. It was founded by um, two brothers uh, based out of Salt Lake City, which is why we're we're headquartered there. Um, And then when we got acquired by Infosys, uh, I took on a new role to essentially manage the North America region. So I was responsible for all of our service delivery resources, the people that are actually configuring the software, doing the work for the client, generating Mm -hmm. the revenue, as well as our sales um, organization uh, in North America. And then, you know, the the, the founders were pure entrepreneurs. And so, you know, a couple of years in the acquisition, it was time for them to, to move on and, and go you know, back and think about potentially starting something else. So that's when I took uh, on the job of running the, the, the company. So that was a little over a year ago um, when that conversation happened. Well, happy almost year anniversary to your new post. Thank you. It's been certainly a, a learning experience and, yeah. um, you know, I'm, I'm very excited and, and blessed to have give, been given the opportunity. And I can remember when that was happening and when that was something that was an opportunity that you saw was going to be there for you. What were some of the first things that were running through your head when you saw you taking on this new post as, sure. as an opportunity that was going to be there for you? Yeah. You know, the, be, because in, 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 I preface that with your, your, you're a young CEO and this is a really large company and Curiously, what what does that come with when you're when you're thinking to myself, okay, this is going to be something that's offered to me. What sure. do I need to take into consideration? Yeah, I guess there's a couple ways to take that. You know, one is that as I had progressed in my career, you know, I observed this you know phenomenon. You know, as I, I you go from sort of a single threaded role, right? I'm a project manager managing a project. You really have one responsibility, but then you go and you manage you know a region or a department or you know a whole service line you know, the, the, uh, the, the, the skill set to be able to differentiate the different problems you have to deal with on a daily basis. That's a real skill set, right? To be able to jump from an escalation to a budget meeting, to a, you know, salary negotiation to, you know, there's, there's, you know, half a dozen of them. And as you move up, you know, that those domains that you then have to spread your, your, your mind share across just increases. Right. Um, and so the CEO job for any CEO, that is the maximum amount of domains that you have to manage, right? You're managing everything from finance to marketing to sales, strategy, day-to-day execution operations, et cetera, et cetera. And so, you know, going from, from where I was before just managing a region, both the delivery and the sales organization to now running the entire company and uh, managing not just day-to-day operations, but, you know, managing up to the new finance department, the board of directors, right? Talking about the five-year strategy versus mm-hmm. just the quarterly execution. Mm-hmm. And all that stuff, you know, created a, you know, it, it the energy drain on switching your brain <laughs> from domain to domain, you know, as you go through the day is, is, is real, right? You know, you may have a very difficult conversation in the morning that puts you on full alert, but then you have to go right into 
sort of the the more fluffy rah-rah type of stuff where, you know, like to this morning I, I kicked off a manager training, right? So oh. right before that I had a, a fairly difficult salary negotiation that, you know, I was, I was working on. And so going from that to I'm trying to build everybody up and be very positive and changing, not just, you know, the, the, the problem solving part of my mind, but also the emotional part of my mind going from a, you know, being very alert and, 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 somewhat, you know, stern in the negotiation process to very optimistic, you know, how do I, you know, motivate these folks that what yeah. they're doing in this training is, is really powerful. That was something I, I knew was going to happen, but I wasn't fully prepared for the energy drain that comes with just having to switch within a single day, the types of conversations and, and where your headspace has to be in order to be successful in each of those individual conversations. It sounds like you've had to grow accustomed to having to pivot, you know, through these task based things that happen through the day as well as just emotionally yourself sure. to, to, to guide and lead. And I've gotten used to it. It's just like working out or running or anything like that. When you, you know, you, 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 you're used to a certain level of physical activity and then you decide to change that or increase the intensity or mm-hmm. you know, say, I'm going to go from a, you know, a marathon runner to a sprinter, you know, it takes a while for your body to acclimate to that new stress. And so it's no different in this instance either. Suffice to say that in this last year, you're, you've kind of grown to where you are now in, in, in peak emotional shape, right? <laughs> I, would, I don't know if I'd say that, but I've certainly acclimated. Yeah. Uh, I've certainly acclimated, but there are still days where I get to the end of the day. I'm just, you know, it's, it's, it's exhausting, right? You just, even though it's, I've done nothing but sit and be on the phone mm-hmm. uh, for but all day. Seemingly, especially just leading a global company and operating in so many different time zones. Sure. Yeah. That's certainly challenging too, but you know, that, that you also sort of get used to and, you know, if you, if you spend some time on it, um, you know, obviously one thing I, I took into account was, you know, my, the family life mm-hmm. right? when I took this job about a year ago, um, been married for you know, a little over 10 years. I have two young kids, six and four. Um, and so, you know, what was this going to do to that relationship, that part of my life? And, you know, you have to sort of manage around it. And so you get sort of used to, you know, setting guardrails and boundaries, both with your spouse and with your kids and with yourself too. Um, you know, so for example, if I, I will typically shut off at about somewhere between five and six in the afternoon, just so I can come in, give my wife a break. I can have dinner with the family and knowing that it's sometimes not every night, but it's possible that after about 9 PM kids are in bed everything's settled, dishes are done. You know, I may, I may have to go back out for a phone call or two. Right. You know, right. Somebody else. But that doesn't happen very often, but it does happen. Right. And so you just have to sort of set those boundaries that that protected time between, you know, five and nine PM, you know, nothing's going to interrupt that. Right. Unless something extreme is happening, obviously. But but you, you sort of create those boundaries and those guardrails and that keeps you somewhat grounded. Yeah. And so tell us about what initially brought you to Simplest or the organization that Simplest was. Sure. Before you be, you guys became an emphasis company. Sure. So Simplest was really small when I joined. Um, there were less than 50 people. And this was how many years ago? This would have been, um, this would have been early 2017. Okay. Early 2017. So yeah, six, six years ago. Um, they were really small when I joined. And, you know, they were, you know, a proper startup. You know, they were a little company. They had, you know, a very charismatic uh, set of founders. You know, they were looking to grow aggressively, right, and grow very fast. They had taken uh, some venture capital money. Uh, some from Salesforce, some from other venture capital uh, firms, you know, some in Salt Lake City, some in other places. Um, and they were really, you know, looking to, to, to deploy that capital. 
right, to maximize mm-hmm. their growth over the coming years. And they were on a four, five, six, seven sort of plan, you know, before, you know, they were looking for some sort of liquidity event, right? Um, could it be a big raise by a PE firm, could have been an acquisition, which ended up happening with emphasis, obviously. Um, so I became a candidate for someone they wanted to bring into the organization. I had just done what they were doing before at a company called Cloud Chirpus, which is actually Atlanta-based. Cloud Chirpus. Yep. Okay. And so that was a, a, f- a f- five-year exercise mm-hmm. at Cloud Sherpas. I was a manager running the service department, um, so I, somewhat close to the leadership layer, but I was not a, an executive or a senior leader at that company. Um, and uh, we grew at Cloud Sherpas, I think, you know, from about five-ish million dollars to, you know, somewhere close to $200 million in the span of that five years, you know, four or five oh, years. Wow. And it got acquired by Accenture. Right, okay. in 2015. So I had just gone through that journey that Simplest was then beginning to beginning. go. Right. Not maybe not quite beginning, but they were still in the early stages. But they were going on the journey and they didn't quite know how to get to the growth. Uh, they knew what they wanted to do to deploy the capital and they just needed the folks to come in that had the knowledge to be able to build the thing, the operations in order for them to be able to capitalize on on that growth and consuming, you know, what the market was demanding at that time, which is Salesforce services. Salesforce grows like crazy. As long as Salesforce is growing, the demand for services is, is intense, right? Mm-hmm. Um, especially from the enterprise. So I was at Accenture for two years. A colleague of mine at Cloud Sherpas had found his way to Simplest, and he said, hey, um, we don't have this thing. It's called managed services. That's what I had built at Cloud Sherpas. Essentially, it is the once you implement Salesforce, you then have to support it, right? You have to enhance mm-hmm. it. You have to operate it. That's managed services. And so I had built that uh, offering at Cloud Sherpas. I was responsible for it. And this guy who had went to Simplest to say, hey, you know, we're little, we're tiny, you know, operations are good, but we're a mess as far as how do we grow this thing? We need managed services. Can I introduce you to the founders? And so I got introduced to the, the, the two brothers. Their names were Ryan and Isaac. So flew out for an interview um, essentially just threw a bold statement out there. This is a, a little, they had just done a, about a $5 million a year. You know, their average deal size is about $35,000 per deal. Okay. And I came in and said, $5 million deal. You so said a $5 million in revenue, 5 million yeah, in revenue. revenue. Okay. And the average size deal for managed services was no about, for them, for their, oh, for yeah, them. before I came in was about $35,000. Okay. Uh, so I came in and I said, okay, well, my average deal size that I want to sell is 60 something thousand dollars. And I think I can do a million dollars in the first year. How did that right? sound to them? It sounded great to them. <laughs> uh, in the back of my head, I'm like, I really hope I can do that. Yeah. So what kind of skepticism was that met with? How did they, how did they receive that? And they knew it. They were probably getting into when they were interviewing you, but. To be honest with you, I don't remember any skepticism. They, okay. You know, if you get in front of a, a pure entrepreneur who's that they, they live and breathe and that's in their bones, they are eternal optimists. Yeah. Right? They say, Hey, that sounds crazy enough. Let's bring it in. They like crazy. They I'm like crazy. Big. He's crazy too. Let's get yeah. this together. Big, hairy, audacious goals. That's what they <laughs> live and die by. And so to them, that was great. You know, they just done $6 million organically. I can hire this person to come in and create another million dollars um, in revenue this next year. You know, that's a huge improvement because usually when you, you know, raise VC money, you know, you're deploying it to try and maybe drive increase in sales, increase in marketing, but a lot of it is used for acquisitions, you mm-hmm. know, acquisition targets, and that's how you grow or inorganic growth. Um, in this instance, you know, organic growth, aka just hiring somebody and then them growing it because of the idea and the fact that they had done it before, you know, that was very, very viable to the company because I think by the time we exited, 
managed services had become 25% of the overall revenue. Oh, they wow. They didn't have to acquire to get that. And it was non-existent, it was non-existent. prior, to, prior yeah. to you coming on board. Yeah, non-existent. What are some funny experiences or just interesting stories about that 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 early stage of you kind of coming on board there and saying, okay, we need to do this? I mean, sure. was there a moment where you said, oh, gosh, Here's how I'm going to put it together, and I didn't see it. I didn't see it going that way, but obviously you grew it to 25 percent of revenue. Sure, from zero to 25 percent. What what's a what's a good example of of something that contributed? You know, um, well, contributed one is the fact that you know when you had done when you've done something before, right? It's a lot easier to do it a second time, right? Versus sort of I I I'd fallen into all the holes, mm-hmm. right? I've I've, I had made a lot of mistakes. Probably still made some mistakes, right? Mm-hmm. At uh, at simplest, but I had made a ton before. So coming in, you know, I sort of knew the order of operations. I knew I had to create sales content, and I knew I had to do sales training. I had there were six salespeople at the time at simplest, and so I had to get them enabled so that I can have them go to the market because you know, they're the ones interacting with the clients. They're the ones you know looking at the leads, trying to qualify them, figure out what they can sell to them. I needed them to really believe in this thing. And so, you know, I, I left Accenture with a, a hundred person organization that was delivering managed services. And I came in with a, with a one person organization, but I sold it like I was still a hundred people mm-hmm. large. Right. So, you know, we had the ability to deliver out of the Philippines, which we did not have a Philippines office at the time <laughs> when I joined. But you saw the, you saw the ability to, I, I had made the assumption that we would be able to figure that out. Yeah. And so the assumptions became, it's, it's a fake it till you make it, you know, sort of mentality. But the assumptions became something that we just said, well, the, the assumption, at least for a period of time, we're just going to, it's just going to become reality, mm-hmm. right? Uh, and so there are some times I had an early employee. She was actually about to leave the organization. She was just a, a consultant at the time. I mean, she was just doing some, some, some work for, for clients, tactical work. Um, and I said, well, she's, she wants to leave. She might have tripped, you know. But, but I, I told her to talk to you first before she made a decision. I talked to her and I said, come on over, right? I'm, I'm desperate for employees. It's just me right now. So I need to, I need someone. Um, she was very personable, you know, very easy to talk to. And so I need, I wanted her to be my first success manager. Success managers are the people that are here in the go-to-market region, in this case, just the United States, that manage the relationship with the client after we sold a managed services contract. And then we did all the work, in the, some of the work we do here, but a lot of the work we do over in the Philippines now. And so, um, you know, now we joke, now she's, she is responsible for almost a $10 million P and L because she's been with us the whole time and the managed services has grown since uh-huh. then. And so she's now managing a whole book of business and she has her own CSMs that work for her and all this kind of stuff. So, um, uh, that's a big success story. But either way, I remember we still reminisce because we look back and we're selling this thing like it's this big, massive, mature operation, but it was just me and her and three contractors in India because we didn't have the Philippines yet. So we were using offshore, you know, Indian contractors through this Indian contracting firm. And we would just walk into client meetings, just, you know, as confident as you can expect (laughs) saying we can deliver this thing to all the expectations we just laid out. And we never really thought in that moment, we didn't, we weren't ever really worried that we couldn't. Now in hindsight, we look back and be like, how on earth did we ever do that? Like that's, that, that's just the scariest thing I've ever thought about. It's it takes just, crazy. Yeah. What going, it sounds like going in and making these commitments to a client, knowing that you have nothing to back that up except just pure grit, ambition, and these assumptions that we were, you know, had made 
to say that we're going to assume that we can do these things, right? Mm -hmm. Even though we hadn't started doing them yet, we didn't know if we were going to be able to do them. We just assumed we could. What was it like setting that up in the Philippines? Um, Well, I'd done business there before Uh and I had been going to the Philippines for um, twice a year for a handful of years at that point. So I was comfortable with the region and, but I had never set anything up there. That operation already existed by the time I got involved in working with the Philippines. And so I remember going there with a couple of other simplest leaders and we, our job, we had one week to set up an operation in the Philippines. You know, I joined in March and we officially opened the Philippine office July 1st. Right. So, you know, there was with a four, four months of planning, uh-huh. four or five months of planning. Um, and so we get there and we had to do real estate. We had to set up accounting. We had to get someone to help us with legal. We actually had to interview our first candidates and make actual offers all within a week. Right. And so I remember going there and a couple of stories stand out. One was looking for real estate. We uh, hired a real estate agent and she took us around to different buildings. And, mm-hmm. You know, what she showed us were, you know, old abandoned office space. So we, we saw a lot of doctor's offices that were abandoned. We'd have to do a big build out. Um, but I remember one of them, we were on the 11th floor. It was an old doctor's office space and it very apocalyptic sort of, it's just all the equipment had just been left right yeah. in this. And it was dusty and sort of things were falling over and, you know, very much, you know, like walking dead, you know, the guy wakes up for the first time in the hospital in the first episode. And, and, uh, we go into this office space. It was fine. And then we're leaving. Well, as we left, they said, well, there's an issue with the elevator. We have to take the stairs. So, okay, whatever. So an, walking, issue. An, an issue, an issue with the elevator. Yes. All the elevators. <laughs> so we're walking down the stairs. We're on the 11th floor. So it was taking a while. And then the, the, the Filipinos are walking briskly in some cases, shuffling quite, quite aggressively past us, you know, in their, you know, in the Philippines, they speak Tagalog, but they, they weave it in with English. English is a really common language in the Philippines. Um, a lot of customer service departments use the Philippines because their English skills are really, really good. Um, so when they speak though, they naturally speak both in Tagalog and English, they weave in and out. And so I didn't understand what they were saying, but I did pick up one of the words, which is fire, (laughs) but they were joking. They were smiling. They weren't running, but uh-huh. they were moving urgently. So I just assumed fire drill. This is just a fire drill. I've been in a fire drill yeah. before in the Philippines. You have to take the stairs all the way down. It's, Follow everybody's yeah, lead. Exactly. This is this is a chore. So we just sort of mosey on down, shuffling. We get out of the building, and everyone's on the street just looking up. And so we get on the street, we look up, and there's just smoke pouring out of oh my what gosh. seemed to be somewhere around the 11th floor to where we were, right? <laughs> where, where you just were. Yeah. So we just turned to our real estate agent. We're like, ah, I think we'll go to the next office now. And that so. sounds so ominous, but the dream persisted. And we kept on going. You guys right? kept so. on going. And, you know, and we ended up not actually choosing a full-time real estate office, uh-huh. you know, uh, or, or at least a full-time office. We ended up using co-working. Uh, services, which worked well for us because we were, you know, I think we started with six people. Um, now there's about 300 people there, um, but uh, we knew we were going to have to grow aggressively. So let's start with co-working, you know, let's grow, mm-hmm. you know, support for a couple of dozen people, and then we'll move to a permanent office, you know, and by the time we were actually ready to have that conversation, COVID hit. So we uh-huh. never, we never actually ended up doing a, a big lease. So, but, wow. Talk about biting off an experience you probably weren't anticipating being thrown out of a burning building in the Philippines where you're trying to open up. That was definitely (laughs) one first time operations. And we had another surprise too, is that, you know, I had a good network there and I had a lot of good relationships with folks and people that had left Accenture already, because I was with Accenture at the time. And, um, you know, I so I brought in, you know, a handful of them 
you know, they'd already left. They moved on to other things and said, hey, we're starting something else new. And I'd worked with them enough that they were like, you know, I'll take a chance. We'll have a conversation with you. So I was like, great. They ended up bringing another 10 to 15 people with them as recommendations and referrals. And so we were sitting in this hotel lobby and we just had 30 minute after 30 minute interviews of all these people coming in, you know, probably about 20 to 25 in a span of about a day. Wow. And um, we get to the end and we selected, we selected 12 you know, that we wanted to, to make offers to. And we wrote these offers up and we sent them all out. We were so happy with ourselves. We had a drink, we had dinner, we were celebrating. And I get this text from the main person who I was, her name was Nikki. And uh, the main person who I had sort of said, Hey, we're coming to the Philippines. Can you help me, you know, get some folks in to do interviews? And she said, um, you have to redo all of the offers. They're not very good. Oh, wow. We're like, what are you talking about? So she walked me through the expectations of when you're in the Philippines and you get an offer, there's all these allowances that are, you know, secured by the government, you know, you have to give as part of some of them part are required, of the offer. as part of the offer. Some of them are required. Some of them are optional, but a lot of companies give them to try and, you know, again, they're as, competing an incentive. With other, as an incentive, you know, so for example, there's a rice allowance. You have to commit to providing two pounds oh, wow. of rice per month. That's right? unique. To, yep. There's laundry, there's internet, you know, there's, there's, there's a, there's a, a list of them, you know, uh-huh. the minimus, the minimus allowances. And so, and then there was this concept of a 13 month pay, at the end of the year, you know, it's pretty common, kind of like health insurance became really common, you know, here in North America is just, you assume that it's part of a contract now when you go and work for a company Yeah, there, very much, it was something that they had established, but had become so common that people just expected it that at the end of the year, everyone gets a bonus equal to one month of their pay and they call it the 13th month pay. Oh, wow. We didn't have any of that in the offer letter. And so we became experts very quickly on Filipino employment law rewrote all yeah. of the offers to what we thought were somewhat of a fair, we sent them to Nikki first and said, Hey, is this language? Okay. Mm-hmm. And so she gave us a thumbs up. We sent them all out. And fortunately all 12 of them signed um, <laughs> awesome. you know, the next day. But that was, that was also sort of a, we went from celebrating, you know, having a drink to multiple hours of intense, you know, reading up on you know, how do we actually, you know, get these people to kind of want to want to come and work for simplest in a region. We had never actually done this before. Um, so Two, two sort of intense stories that really stick out from that one-week experience in the Philippines. And suffice to say that these are experiences that have, have definitely stayed with you and lessons learned contributed to your journey from, from back then through now. Absolutely. And maybe even this last year. Yeah. Yeah, there's, there's a lot of the, – the big lesson here is in some of those stories and, and other ones that have really sort of been on my mind is, is this concept of resilience, mm-hmm. right? There's, there's a lot of business books. There's a lot of, you know, things that people have done. You get these speakers that post on LinkedIn all the time about their, this is their philosophy and this is how, you know, you, you're, you succeed in X, Y, and Z. And a lot of that's true. Mm-hmm. But at the end of the day, you, sometimes you're going to wake up and you're going to realize well, there's not a playbook for everything. Right. Right. And so right. your ability to be resilient in some of those situations is, again, a skill that you just, you have to you have to experience it in order for you to get good at it, mm-hmm. you know, which, which means that there has to be some semblance of you being willing to sort of stay in the pocket during the difficult, unexpected situations so you can actually get the lesson out of it. If you don't, then you'll never develop that, that, that skill of resilience and I the would, ability to recognize that sometimes there's not a playbook and you're going to have to sort of think on your feet. I would agree with that. I would say that there are certain professional attributes that only experience can deliver. 100%. And in this last year, well, I guess back and back up, what would you tell yourself a year ago uh, before you started on this particular path that you're on right now, becoming CEO? 
I, you know, I would probably just encourage myself to remember what I just talked about, mm-hmm. right? Because this has been a challenging year, you know, for for a lot of people, right? The right. economy, um, you know, the uh, the market ups and downs. You know, if you pay attention to what's going on, especially in the high tech sector, you know, Salesforce has been in the news. Um, they've they've been sort of under attack. Um, from various investors that are expecting higher profitability at the sacrifice of lower growth. Uh, Salesforce has made some really large and acquisitions that some folks don't necessarily agree with the value of those acquisitions. And it, either way, Salesforce has been in the news a lot, right? right? And when Salesforce is in turmoil, the rest of the ecosystem is in turmoil. Then you couple that with sort of the global macroeconomic cooling off, lethargic economy, whatever you want to call it. Mm-hmm. You know, that has created some really difficult some really difficult times, um, especially as we all try and chase performance. We try and chase results that is, you know, sort of expected of us, you know, in the positions that we're in. So that's, that's been something that, you know, a little bit of encouragement and reminder for myself to just, again, stay in the pocket and be resilient, um, you know, just to mentally prepare for that. It would have been something I probably would have said. Otherwise, you know, it's, again, I, I, you have to pull the lesson out of all this kind of stuff. So I wouldn't mm-hmm. have changed what happened in the last year at all, just because it's, 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 I think provided a lot of important learnings for a lot of people, right? Especially new leaders. Yeah. Well, I can't thank you enough for your time. Honestly, Ryan, this has been, it's been a lot of fun doing this first episode. Um, all that's missing is a beer. So for what that's worth, let's just put this one on ice and till next time, take care. Good night, America. Thank you for joining us on Executive Perspective. This show is brought to you by Cressa, the world's largest occupier-centric commercial real estate firm offering unbiased, conflict-free advice. For more information, go to Cressa.com.